Hi everyone, I'm Charlie Visconage and welcome to a very special edition of Aging Unmasked. Today we have a roundtable discussion about ageism, uh, which for the uninitiated is any kind of age-based discrimination. And we have a great first episode in the, on this that we did last year, if you want to go back and listen to that. Um, but first, let's start with our panelists. Could you all introduce yourselves? Hi, I'm Kirsten Jacobs. I'm the Director of Dementia and Wellness Education here at Leading Age. Hi, I'm Tracy Gendron. I'm an Associate Professor and the Chair of the Department of Gerontology at Virginia Commonwealth University. Hello, I'm Mia Mullen, and I am the Manager of Executive Priorities at Leading Age. Awesome. And uh, for those of you listening, we just had an amazing staff training all about ageism, and it's always fantastic to kind of get that information again, you know, for me as someone who didn't come from an aging services background, it is so illuminating to be reminded of all the ways in which, you know, culture reinforces ageism and the ways in which we're trying to work against that. Um, so I think to start with, you know, we had a lot of um, table discussion parts and one of these was sort of about how we can be bolder about this. So. For the members listening, how can they utilize these sorts of trainings better or differently in their own communities? So I think that one of the most important aspects of ageism training and, and raising awareness of ageism is to start with the door of self. So to recognize that we are all aging people and that this is actually about us, not about them. There is no us and them. We are all aging and we're doing that throughout our entire lives. So I think there's something about going through that door that breaks down barriers because we start to see it as not only an investment in our job and in our residents or in our clients or participants, but an investment in ourselves. And I don't think there's any bolder way that, that you can go than building your own authenticity, um, investing in your own elderhood. Uh, so I think that that's the place that I would suggest that everybody starts, and then it can grow from there. And I think we always like to remind people that this is a really big, sometimes daunting conversation. So we have some tools to help embark on that conversation on the Leading Age Learning Hub. So there is an amazing video series and dialogue toolkit that allows you to start having that conversation within your organization and then start planting those seeds throughout. And just to clarify, are those free as long as you have a, a login for the Learning Hub? Yes, those tools are designed for leading age members and are free to leading age members. Great, so we'll put a link to that in the show notes. Um, so we did talk about elderhood. Could you share with us more about that kind of terminology? We talk a lot about language, especially by way of ageism, and you did a great job kind of illustrating that for us during the presentation. So could you go over that again for people who are not there? Yeah, of course, I'd be happy to. We use the term elderhood even though it's not commonly used because we think it's important that we distinguish between retirement as a life stage and something more as a life stage. So we use the term elderhood to talk about a period of life that's distinct from adulthood where we experience a different kind of growth, but we still have opportunities and we are still driven by a sense of purpose. At the moment, since we really just talk about adulthood as the primary stage, it, it kind of leaves this gap in our understanding and a, and a gap in society in terms of what roles and opportunities there are for older people that aren't 
built on the concepts of adulthood, like work and productivity. So I think it's really important that we start to reshape the way that we talk about this period of time so that we can build more role models that we can learn from and that we can you know, develop this, this sense of elderhood that we can invest in in the long term. And I just want to add to that because I think there's a lot of power in giving it a name. Um, because I think when you give it a name um, that we can all sort of envision ourselves there and it gives it gives us a sense of purpose that lives in that space as well. And so it kind of invites you to set some intention around it. And I think that's really powerful. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's a great point because I think it could be misunderstood as just another label. And it is not intended as just another label. If anything, its intent is kind of just to do the opposite, to break that down and break down those barriers of thinking that aging is about decline alone and instead reframing that conversation to understand that we never stop growing, we never stop developing, and that even after the, the milestones and markers of adulthood have been met, that there's more growing to be done, there's more developing to be done. So I think it's important that we know this isn't meant as yet another label, another kind of you know thing that we're going to stick on to people um, to describe who they are. It's more meant in terms of reframing this idea of aging as a single process of decline. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's really powerful. So Tracy, this is really one just for you, but you're an educator at Virginia Commonwealth University. So when you introduce these concepts to your students, how do they react? Yeah, that's a great question. So at Virginia Commonwealth University in the Department of Gerontology, we call ourselves an academic department and a social movement rolled into one. So I, I think for our students, what that means is while you're getting an education and you're getting the academic credentials, you're also going through a profound personal transformation. And to me, that's what the study of gerontology really is. It's the study of aging, which is the study of living. So it's a really a life course lifespan view of how we age over time, including how our bodies change, um, to how our psyches change, to how our social roles change, and even sense of spirituality. So I think when you go into it using that lens, not the lens of I'm going to learn everything I can to serve older adults, but that I myself am becoming an elder in training, so to speak, it can be totally transformative. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, you know, you're starting people young, whereas, you know, there's so many people who have not been exposed to this kind of training or you know education or anything and it can be really profound absolutely well so talking about uh the younger generation we did talk about this during the presentation but let's talk about okay boomer the meme if you uh been living under a rock and haven't heard about it google it um but what is it and what do you consider um not necessarily harmful but i mean the kind of how it may or may not encapsulate generational discord um, so I'll start this conversation. I never think that responding to ageism with ageism is the right way to go or even the best way to go. But I think it's important for us to really think about what's underneath this phenomenon of OK Boomer. And while it is meant as a very dismissive remark, um, 
what what's underneath all of that is that millennials, as a generation and as a group, are kind of pushing back against the ageism that they have experienced for so long. We all know that these you know, common stereotypes of millennials as being lazy or entitled or changing society in ways that are not beneficial. Um, and I think that, that this OK Boomer thing is kind of saying we've had enough of that. So I think it's important for us to really recognize what's underneath it. And that's that ageism goes both ways. Ageism is any discrimination based on age. So when we say things like, you're too young to understand that, or you, you don't have the experience, how could you know what you're talking about? That's just as ageist as saying to somebody that's old, you don't matter. So I think the OK Boomer is a pushback. Do I think it's the best way to approach it? No, because it's still very dismissive. What I think it's actually really getting at is not generational differences, but ideological differences. And I think that's what we need to focus on, that there are people of all ages in all cohorts that have certain views upon things. And we shouldn't assume just because somebody is of a certain age that they are liberal or they are conservative or they are pro-environment or whatever it is. We need to kind of, I think, band together by ideology, but not fuel this fake generational warfare that we create. And so this is just a question that comes to mind when you say that is, how then do you break that cycle of ageism to ageism and we're just going to just fight this out versus turning one's attention towards the real issues that we all are, are we all value and we're all interested in, in pursuing. Like, what is the what is the equation for that? I think it's the same when it comes to any form of stigma or oppression or marginalization, which is to try to be very hard to see the person in front of you and not give in to the stereotypes and the labels that because somebody looks a certain way, they must think a certain way. It's about really practicing being person-centered. And we're all taught in the field about what it means to be person-centered, person-centered care, patient-centered care. We hear it all the time, but do we actually practice it in our own lives? And I think that's just it when it comes to racism, sexism, ageism, any of it. It's that you're walking through the door of saying, I understand you because you look a certain way. And there's no truth to that. So maybe it's time that we you know, band together based on our shared ideologies um, and connect that way instead of just judging somebody right off the gate and assuming that you know about them. To that end, I've had the opportunity to host an intergenerational dialogue about ageism at one of our intergenerational member communities. And in the course of that conversation, we asked questions about the lived experience of ageism of both youth and older adults. And ultimately, they shared the very same experiences that they had encountered condescending language towards them, both to the younger uh, people and the older adults. So this reminder that if we find ourselves in dialogue, we can discover that we have so much shared experience. And how does that help us move towards um, interrupting ageism in a, in a larger way? Yeah, absolutely. Well, kind of to that end, for starting with Kirsten, what are practical ways, you know, somebody listening to this, that we can interrupt ageism in our daily lives as we view it or experience it in conversation or, you know, different things with people? Mm -hmm. 
Tracy mentioned starting with this exploration of self, which feels really important. And then I think there are these day-to-day ways that the ageism manifests in our language, and that's often sort of the the low-hanging fruit that we can start adjusting immediately. So you look great for your age, or how can I help you, young lady, or for providers referring to older adults as sweetie or honey. Like, what are the ways that our language represents ageism, and how can we shift our language to support all ages and all abilities? Yeah, I think that's absolutely the starting place. And then I think building off of that, recognizing that we are actually all role models for what it means to age. So the way that we talk about ourselves and our own aging matters just as much. So trying to think about, instead of saying, I feel so old, um, to say what you really mean, which is maybe I'm tired or I'm stressed um, or I'm not feeling well today, the way that we behave, the way that we act, the way that we respond to others, that's how they learn about what it means to be older. So we each have a personal responsibility, I think, to do that. Yeah, so it starts with self-talk. Yeah. also think um, to be willing to challenge um, when those uh, thoughts or, or words emerge, to really question one another and you know, ask for meaning, um, invite that um, to come to the surface. But I'd also add to it, you know, we just hosted in a conversation with our entire staff about ageism, and I think that it's the more that you talk about it, the more time you spend with it, and not just talking about it, but making space for whatever might emerge from that conversation, and recognize it as a learning opportunity is really important. And so I would encourage members or whoever else is listening to be willing to do that, to create space for that conversation. I love that you say that. I think that it's really important for us to remember no blame, no shame. So we have all said all of these things. I have, Kirsten has, Mia has, we all have. And there are still moments when you walk into it and go, wow, I can't believe that just came out of my mouth. Um, And that's an important aha moment to have because this is really a process that takes a long time to uncover and there's layers and layers and layers. So to not blame, to not shame, and to not beat yourself up for any one of those behaviors, but to learn and grow from it, I think is really essential. Yeah, absolutely. And I really appreciate that you guys mentioned that, you know, this isn't like a a policing, this is the room where we're exploring and understanding more so and then changing our way from there. Um, So the one question that my colleague Tessa um, has been posing on social media this week for our Free From Ageism Week is why do you work towards a society free of ageism? And I'd love to hear each of your responses to that. It's a long list, but I think um, among the reasons I think about my um, future older self and I think about my children and I think the impact on ageism is um, huge. So what are the ways that I can make life and the world better for both my lived experience of growing older and that of my children? Yes, that. (laughs) I'll add um, that it matters. I think for me because it really, really matters. And we have data to show that it matters. It matters to your health. It matters to your longevity. It matters um, to your well-being. It matters to your happiness. It matters to society as a whole. And I don't think we talk about that quite enough as to how much it really matters. It even matters to your job and the work that you do. Um, And I think that's what drives me. I echo both of your responses. Um, And... Um, I mean, it's personal. It's a personal issue. And I think 
one of the, the greatest gifts that I got from our first coming together around um, ageism and around this vision was that I began to identify with the experience of aging in a different way. And so for me, I work towards it because I know that I will reap the benefits at the end of it, and so will my family, and so will my friends. And I want to, you know, frankly, I want to be in a world that I'm continuing in a community that I'm always going to be a part of, that I'm always going to feel valued. And whatever I can do now to create that space for myself and for the people in my life, I will do. Well, just one more question, because I don't know if we could really cap it off any better than <clears throat> all of that, is where can people find resources? So obviously we've talked about the Learning Hub. Anywhere else you would recommend listeners go if they want to educate themselves, educate others? I'll always remind people of Leading Age resources. The Learning Hub is one place, and then leadingage.org forward slash ageism. I would say there's a clearinghouse that is available. It's called Old School. And there are some good resources on there, articles, books, um, speakers, and it's a nice place to start for people that, that just want to start out in the ageism journey. And is that a website? It is, oldschool.com. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for your time today. It's been a fantastic discussion, both with the group of our fellow colleagues and right here today. So thanks a lot for your time. Thank you. Thanks, Charlie. Thank you. Hi guys, Charlie here, back one more time. I wanna thank our panelists from the Ageism Roundtable one more time as well. That's Tracy Gendron of Virginia Commonwealth University and my leading age colleagues, Kirsten Jacobs and Mia Mullen. We discussed many resources in this episode and you can find them all in our show notes. And also go back and listen to that first episode we did about ageism if you need more resources of your own. Finally, I want to acknowledge our music, which is from the artist Shining Seconds, and you can find his work on Spotify. Until next time, this has been Aging Unmasked.